Welcome to the Innovation Room. If you're a business leader, a change champion, or someone who wants to feel a little closer to how digital transformation is changing the world, put your smartphone aside, sit back, and indulge in the world of software. The world of endless possibilities. We live in a very noisy world today. It's becoming increasingly hard not to be impacted by the mainstream media, the constant headlines of, you are in crisis, and the negative narratives of, what lies ahead, their status quo. My guest on this episode is an outlaw, a voice of realistic hope, who makes complex economic concepts simple to understand and practical to prepare for. Roger Martin Fagg, a behavioral economist and one of the authorities in UK economy, is in the innovation room with me, discussing the potential of a recession, its depth and length, but more importantly, how to rebel against it. Obviously, innovation is involved. P.S. We recorded this before the Conservative leadership election was over, and he talked about the impact of least trust policies on the economy, as he predicted she would win the race. I am Somaye, CEO of Geeks, and you are in the innovation room. Thank you so Hi. much for joining me in the Innovation Room. Can we start by you giving a bit of introduction? And I know a lot of people know you, but if you can share something people might not know, that would be great. Okay, I went to university at Leicester and read a degree in economic development, which meant I had to study economics, economic history and geography. And my whole idea in those days was to go and work somewhere in the world and help a country grow and get prosperous. And I ended up in New Zealand, working in the New Zealand Mines Department. That sounds pretty boring, but actually it was very interesting. We were looking at New Zealand's natural resources and how we could sustainably develop them. I had a big introduction to the politics of decision-making in a small country where things could move very quickly. I enjoyed that immensely, but in those days, New Zealand was a long way from the rest of the world, and you had to book a phone call with the UK. It hasn't moved, has it? (laughs) Oh, it has moved. It's completely different now. Completely different. And I came back to the UK, and then I worked in the air transport and travel industry, basically doing corporate planning in conjunction with demographics. So I'm actually responsible for the change in height and shape of stewardesses. (laughs) It's all my fault. And then by chance, I was asked if I would help out in a local technical college. Their postgraduate students had lost their economics teacher because he ran off to France with the principal secretary. Probably a good move. And I said, no, I'm not a teacher. But my MG car needed a new gearbox and they were paying six pounds an hour. So I said yes. After that, I taught there and then I was headhunted to join Henley Management College, where I spent 22 years. And you do behavioural economy. Do you want to give a little bit of explanation about how is it different? Sure. Mainstream economics, which is what I was taught, is called neoclassical economics, And 97% of the profession 
I've been through that, and many of the current practitioners are wedded to this structure that they were given. And I've always been difficult because I always ask anybody, why is something like it is? And at university, I kept asking, why do we assume rational behavior? And I was told, because we do. And that's not a very good answer. And so I became very interested to see how people really do take decisions. And it was quite clear people do not behave rationally. Surprisingly. Yeah, Samaya, if you were entirely rational, you'd never have started geeks. (laughs) Very true, very true. Yeah, exactly. And so I started looking at behaviour and I realised that behind every number, economic bit of data, a human being has made a choice. So I got interested into the psychology of decision making. And there's a very good book written by someone called Daniel Kahneman called Thinking Fast, Thinking Slow. And he shows quite clearly that 80% of the time our decision taking is instinctive, which means the idea that the economy is a predictable machine is totally wrong. That makes it a bit scary, certainly for some people, probably the majority of the business world, if they feel like they can't predict what's going to happen in the future so they can align their businesses and strategies and behaviours around it. It's our tradition, so can I ask you to pick who would you have, alive or dead, in the innovation room if you wanted to do some innovation work? Isambard Kingdom Brunel. He was the man who basically built the Titanic. He built the Great Western Railway. He was a man who basically said it can be done when conventional wisdom said it cannot. There's a brick-built bridge in Maidenhead over the River Thames, which has the longest single-span arch. And at the time, everyone said that bridge will not stay up. It defies the rules. That was in 1840, and it's still there. Brilliant. I'm sure he would be delighted to share some debates with you. So going back to what you were saying about the behavioural economist and the fact that economy cannot be predicted, can you elaborate a bit on that and say there is so much prediction and there people try to predict it? So what does that mean then? That's a very good question. And the answer to it is this. Mainstream economic forecasting is brilliant for its precision. And the great thing about it is it's always precisely wrong. A behavioural economist, when they're forecasting, they are broadly right. And the question in life is, is it better to be precisely wrong or broadly right? And I think it's the latter. So are we heading to recession then? Has it started? Is it going to start? Can you predict broadly, correctly, rather than precisely wrongly? Excellent. If you look at the mainstream forecasters, They're all saying the economy could well be in recession at the end of this year. The Bank of England model says that. The OECD say that. But the problem with their models is within those models, they don't have a key component, which is money supply. And the reason why they don't have money supply there is that 
Mainstream economists have said the relationship between money supply and economic activity is not predictable. Because it's not predictable doesn't mean it's not correlated. And it most certainly is. And my view is that we look at today's money supply and it determines tomorrow's activity. The extent to which it determines tomorrow's activity depends on emotion, which is why I have a real problem with the media today, because they can quite clearly persuade people that there's going to be a recession and then it becomes self-fulfilling. Yeah, they do. They do create those emotional status by the kind of news and insights that they deliver. But I know you for a couple of years now. I've been listening to your your insights and quarterly updates, and they are pretty scarily accurate every time. So what do you think the world is going to look like? Or maybe if not the world, I like to look at the world, but like specifically UK as well, like what the world, what our world is going to look like in 12 months? Okay, I think there will be no recession this year. I think if there is going to be a recession, it'll be the middle of next year. But I want to say something about recessions. Everyone's thinking back to 2008 to 2012, and that was very serious because the financial system collapsed. If we have a recession in the middle of next year, it will not be very deep. It will last for no longer than six months. And you know what? It's not a big deal. What will happen in that recession, the zombie businesses that have been hanging in there holding on to resources that are scarce, those businesses will disappear, releasing this scarce resource to those businesses that desperately need it. So the recession will clean out the stable. Are we the scarce resources we're talking about? Am I correct that you're referring to the talent? The fact that we have we've had fewer babies for decades maybe we've had added to that early retirement the need for the talented workforce and the skilled workforce becoming more and more like a war is that what you're referring to and if that's okay what's the impact of that going forward okay we currently are three and a half million workers short for many of the reasons you've just mentioned i want to give you context We right now in the British economy are running too hot. Normally, our real growth is around 2.3%. We're currently running at about 3.3%. Our economy needs to slow down. And it actually can slow down without having a recession. But the media could easily cause people to postpone investment, cancel recruitment, stop training, all the usual things. And that's not necessary. It doesn't have to happen like that. So as we move to a sustainable growth rate, which unfortunately is below 2.3% real, it's about 1.6 because we just don't have enough people and we haven't had enough investment in productivity improvement since 2016, since the Brexit vote. Is it a UK problem or is it a global problem? The underinvestment is a particularly UK problem, but the talent shortage 
is almost throughout the Western world, in particular Germany, Italy, and the United States. However, the United States can often deal with that by just allowing more immigration, something that the UK is trying to organise, but not wishing to be too political. The current administration don't seem to be able to organise much. Yes, speaking of the current administration of the UK and the changes in the politics, what's, what do you think? Is there going to be any challenges in the economic strategy? Given the party, the ruling party is not going to change, how much a new prime minister can do things differently and what would be the impact of it on the economy, on the businesses? See, the, the issue is that any government in Britain that says that it can increase the supply of public services and simultaneously reduce taxation is lying. It is not possible. If you look at our demographics, unless we have euthanasia, there is no way any government can reduce taxation. We have to increase taxes to look after the elderly and the retirees. It's our biggest expenditure as a nation, pensions and social support. So am I correct reading that what you mean is no, there is not going to be a major change in the way the the strategy of the government? I think we have, I think it's likely we might have Liz Truss as Prime Minister, which personally I think is not going to be particularly productive. And it's called old-fashioned conservatism, which is smaller government. Smaller government, less taxation, particularly less business taxation, because they believe that corporate taxes reduce innovation, they reduce entrepreneurship, for which there is zero evidence. So they have a mindset that is related to a world that, in my judgment, doesn't exist anymore. When we have talked in the past, the impact or your views on the impact of innovation particularly automation and systemization of the businesses is crucial for the businesses to even exist in the future, let alone for them to thrive. Can you talk about the impact of that? How big of a, how, because I go around and tell, if you don't, if you're not a software, that's my my statement always, that if you're not going to be, your business is going to buy you and you will be destroyed. And the examples are like, for example, like the, the, the biggest, the big ones you can bring as an example of. If you're not an Uber, you cannot exist in the, in the field. So a, a software, a technology business is going to run everything as we move forward. So if you're a legal firm, you have to become a software legal firm. You have to become a technology business. Otherwise, somebody else is going to come and take your market share and swallow you in. How much do you agree with me if you do? I agree partially. I think if you take a legal firm, you need to see software in the broadest definition of that term as an enabler, as a productivity enhancer, but not a replacement. Yes, there are some basic processes conveyancing that can be completely automated. But if, as a behavioralist, I think if someone is about to go through a painful divorce, they actually want a human being to be empathetic, to understand the pressures on them. Yes, have the software deal with the paperwork, 
But I, for one, don't think that software is going to take out what I call human touch. I don't think that either. I think the humans are going to be the the source of powering. The, so the differentiation between different softwares, different technologies, how much human touch is behind yeah. them in the design yeah. process, in the content of the software. What does it give you, not just the algorithms? And then in the in developing the AI part of any piece of technology, because we know the AI is like how much, like what kind of group of examples, your example data, training data you're giving people so that the human part becomes crucially important in whoever has the more diverse, better human touch with the software, then they're going to they're gonna create a more powerful and impactful software. How much do you think the, because we've got the generational impact as well. Yeah. So we've got now the millennials coming to the execution executive level and the board level and but we are not seeing enough of them in all the companies and all the businesses. How much do you think having a millennial at the board would make a business to take advantage of innovation and technology navigating the uncertain times that seems to be the normal these days? I'm going to be a bit contentious now. I think millennials have old-fashioned thinking. It's time for Gen. It's time for Gen Z. It's Gen Z who should be on the board. I think the pace of change, and you'll know this, and the possibilities are so enormous now that millennials are out of touch. It's a 22-year-old who knows how things can be different, and I think Gen Zs are programmed differently. They genuinely can handle three screens open simultaneously, something I can't do. And I'm saying to everybody, if you want your business to innovate and think differently, it's not going to come from you because you don't have the you just don't have the brain part. Get a Gen Zer on that board and make them the innovation specialist. I agree with you. We need to have more. And that's another one. That's uh, We need to have more generational diversity at the board level to be able to deal with the pace of the change. What I have seen is the boards, the current the existing boards, and we like it or not, that's a picture we have in front of us at the moment, is that the boards are still largely not diverse. Yeah. Uh, and they are struggling with the millennials, let alone <laughs> bringing Gen Z. So I don't know how much the dynamics of Gen Zs on the board or being involved in the decision making and the existing board members are going to be productive. And I agree, if there are businesses who can create that dynamic, they are going to be the ones that are going to probably do big things because they are not acting as the norm. To give you a lovely example, there's if you've got someone who's 60 years old on a board now, they are likely saying to their teams, look, there's going to be a recession next year. I've had experience of three recessions. And what we do is we cut back on all unessential spending. We build the cash balance and then we sail through the recession. And these Gen Zers have never experienced a recession. They seem to be just going for it. They seem to be investing. They want to develop this. Well, if Gen Zers are taking the decisions, you won't get a recession. A recession is caused by old men who think that's the way it works. 
you mentioned that earlier, I co-founded Geeks when I was 25, 26, and it was in 2007, eight, recession. Little I knew what recession meant (laughs) back then. So I didn't care. Like, we didn't care because we didn't, we haven't, we hadn't seen one. We didn't know what does that mean. So we just powered through innovation and creating business value. So I completely get the mentality of even sometimes not having experience of something. If you want to behave differently, you probably are easier to do that if you just haven't seen one before to have perceptions. Absolutely. And of course, yes, it will result in some mistakes, of course. I think going back to our situation, taking your timing of the starting of Geeks, If you went to a bank around 2010 or 11 and said, look, I need some working capital to do X, the chances are the bank would have said, whoa, we don't understand this type of business. It looks far too wishy-washy for us. No. That did happen. We did go to the bank and they said no. (laughs) And we found the way. So, yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Which brings back to what, like how the investors and the financial market have the power to impact the mid-market businesses. Because yep. uh, they are they are the biggest chunk of the economy. They have the biggest probably impacting power on the behavioral side of the economy. So that's the ripple effect that uh, w- will happen. You've said many times that the UK economy is driven by the housing market and how yep. people feel about that. What's the impact of that on the UK economy? The impact is because it's a long story, but the problem in Britain is more emphasis is placed on existing assets rather than creating assets. And that's why as a nation, we are losing ground. Bankers want to lend for real estate. They don't want to lend for innovative, fast-growing software houses. Mm. And that's a big problem. And how can we change that? Is the mid-market, that's where our audience are mostly from, what power do we have? How can we behave differently to have an impact on the economy, a positive impact on the economy? That's a a great question. If you look at mid-market, if you look at where our income as a nation comes from, 65% of it is generated by businesses that employ less than 200 people. So they are the engine of innovation and they are the engine of growth. They are part of our system where the challenger banks, the not the Barclays, the smaller banks, are increasingly focusing. And I'm sure there's a challenger bank called Starling, which is basically a software house. Yes. I am sure in time they're going to start targeting the clear blue water that the traditional banks don't understand and don't want to go near. So I would say to anybody, look, forget the big five, go for some of those smaller players and see if their mindset is different. And as as the strategy of the businesses for the next 12 months, as we are watching what happens with the recession and the impact of it, what would be your advice? My advice is right now, have a look at your customer base. And you will find that 80% of your profit comes from 20% of those customers. So 
over this next year, those are the customers you really focus on. And if the customers who don't yield you much profit and you don't expect them to, then get a bit difficult, just say goodbye to them. Focus, that's how to get through the next 18 months. Focus, focus. Brilliant. It's always amazing to talk to you, Roger, and get your different views of the economy because I, for one, and I know many of my CEO colleagues of other businesses, how much we draw insights from your insights and the way of your way of thinking. Can you leave us with some inspiring magic words to finish off this, this session, the way you always inspire us to, to fight against the, the conventional message of the media that is boring? Okay. I always say to people, only worry about the things you can control. You can't control the government, you can't control interest rates. And in fact, the vast majority of businesses that have a clear positioning, have an appropriate culture, and really are generating enthusiasm amongst their suppliers and their core staff, in a recession, those businesses may grow a little slower than before. They might make a little less money than before, but they're not going to disappear. The businesses that will disappear are the ones that basically deserve to disappear. And I know you're not one of those businesses, and I know all the people I talk to with you are not those businesses either. So a recession, if it happens, will last probably for only two quarters, about six months. Don't worry about it. Get on doing good things. Brilliant. Thank you so much, Roger, as always, and have a great day. Thank you, Samaya, and you too. Thanks for listening. We hope you enjoyed the Innovation Room. Want to learn more about what we do? Or want to be our next guest? Head over to the Geeks website, www.geeks.ltd. We look forward to welcoming you again soon.